Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. If you have a Bible, I'm going to get you to turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to hang out in this one big passage of Scripture today. And to catch you up before I read, I I jump in, I want to catch you up to the context a little bit. Acts is the story of what happened after the works of Jesus on the cross and rising again. It's the beginning of the church. We actually spent a year preaching through the book of Acts several years back. And it's the the account of the, the power of God through ordinary people establishing the church of Jesus Christ on the earth. You should read it sometime. You should read it often. But Acts chapter 1, Jesus basically says, wait until you receive power. Acts chapter 2, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. And we find Peter goes out into the crowd and starts preaching the gospel of Jesus. And thousands of people in Jerusalem start to believe that Jesus is Lord and they find new life in him. Then in chapter 3, you turn a page, and it's just days within this first week of the life of the church, and you find Peter and John heading to the temple to go preach about Jesus some more, and they heal, while well, Jesus heals, this man who'd been paralyzed from birth, and the crowd that sees it just kind of is blown away and flabbergasted by this. And so you see this spectacle ensue, and the city of Jerusalem, particularly the religious leaders, start asking questions as to what's going on here. And it's here that we pick up in Acts chapter 4. Let's read it. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So they're explaining to the people what has just happened, and they were greatly disturbed. The priests were greatly disturbed Because the apostles were teaching people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening, and they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men grew to about 5,000. So we're a couple days in, there's 5,000 people that have believed the message of the gospel. The next day it says the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas. Remember Caiaphas from the Gospels, those of you who know your Bible. John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, now picture this, and began questioning them. Questioning them, By what power or what name did you do this? Talk about being put on the spot. Have you ever been put on the spot? Do you like being put on the spot? Not many of us do. I I have nightmares. I remember being in middle school, elementary school, high school. It was just a pattern in my life of not paying attention to the teacher. And you teachers, you can smell some kid who's daydreaming. I know it. I've heard so many times, Brent knows the answer. Say what? (laughs) And then you're on the spot. Anybody, that student in class? Some of you are right now, I, I, I avoid that temptation preaching all the time, calling you out because you're sleeping. Anyway, hopefully not today. None of us like being put on the spot, though, do we? And I think really when it boils down to it, being put on the spot is a measure of how prepared you were for the question, isn't it? In fact, you don't even feel like you're being put on the spot sometimes when people ask you a question. Why? Because you were ready for it. When we're put on the spot, we really, it just comes down to how ready you were to give 
an answer. If you talk to a parent about their kids, they're not going to have a hard time telling you all about them. If you talk to a person with a Maple Leafs hat on, you say, why are you a Maple Leafs fan? Why do you continue to support this team that continues to let you down year after year after year? They will go on to tell you all their reasons why the Maple Leafs are the greatest hockey team. Delusion. Anyway. You could ask a teacher to tell me about the the class that you're teaching, and they can give you an answer. When it comes to being put on the spot, it really has to do with being prepared, doesn't it? And the question about being put on the spot as it relates to our faith in Jesus is this. How ready are you to give an answer? If you were like James and John being brought before the powers that be in the city of Halifax or in the city of Charlottetown, and they said, what's this whole Jesus thing all about? How would you do in that moment? I would hazard to guess it might surprise you. I was caught really off guard about a month ago when a friend of mine asked me to tell him about Jesus. We weren't in a context that I was ready. I wasn't thinking about it. We were, we were playing basketball, and that was the last thing I was thinking of. And then this door opened, and I totally fumbled my moment all the way home just thinking, oh, I wish I'd said this. Anybody awesome at rehashing conversations and like, Oh, man, if I could have that conversation again, I would have said it like this. Being prepared in the moment is crucial. And the question I have for you is, how would you do if you were asked about Jesus? How would you do in that moment? If if your, your child who you've been praying for for years, your adult child, and they finally say, okay, Dad, tell me, tell me why it is you follow Jesus. Are you ready to answer? If you're in the line at Tim Hortons and someone turns around and says, hey, I see your shirt. Why? Okay, what's up with Jesus? What do you say? How would you do in that moment? Peter, he stepped up to this moment, and he knew what he was going to say. And we're going to look at that. And he later on said in one of his letters that we have to always be ready to give an account for the reason that we have hope. That's every one of us. We have to be ready to give an answer for the reason we have hope. And so what we're going to do for these next handful of weeks is we're going to look at the building blocks and the main talking points of our faith so that we are better equipped to have these conversations with people. We're going to look at the reason and the logic behind why we believe what we believe. Do you know that there's an intellectual argument to be made as to why we follow Jesus? We're going to look at the story about Jesus' incarnation and how he reconciled us to himself. We're going to talk about resurrection. We're going to talk about forgiveness and atonement and being set free. We're going to talk about redemption and how God has actually not just saved us from death someday, but he's actually started a transformation process in us today. And we're going to look at these talking points over the next handful of weeks. And I think, maybe test this in your own spirit, maybe ask the Lord this. But I think this is something that God is doing in his church right now. He's preparing his church to be ready because I believe that we are already beginning to be in a moment where the church is on the spot to give an answer about Jesus. We are in a time right now where the world is in such desperate need of good news. Amen? How badly does Canada and the United States need the church to rise up and be able to speak the truth in love? What about this moment that we're in where nations are at war and global tensions are at an all-time high, at least in the last hundred years or so? The world needs to hear clearly that there is a prince of peace who rules in truth and grace. 
in a time with wealth gaps and bombs and power struggles and desperation on the rise, this is not a time for the church to be silent. In a country and in a time where ideological confusion and dysfunction and perversion and division are tearing our society apart, where relativism and pluralism and secularism are producing a cocktail of insanity, where addiction and bondage and death are overdosing and skyrocketing, where we are seeing a generation emerging that is incapable of coping with the harsh reality of the world that we live in where anger and rage are rising and mass shootings and hate crimes and violence are becoming more frequent, we are in a moment where the church cannot be silent about the hope we have in Jesus. In a time full of bad news, how can we not be ambassadors of good news? In a time of conflict, how can we not be people who cry out, we know the way to peace? In a time of great despair, how can we be silent about the hope that we have? In a time of bondage, how can we keep from saying, we know the one who can bring true freedom? And so today I want to set us up, and I want to begin the conversation about talking about Jesus. And I want us to look at how we need to be postured in this moment. Today is really going to be a a message to us as believers in how I believe we need to engage ourselves in the moment that we are in where God has placed us here in Atlantic Canada for such a time as this. And I want to ask the question, you know, based on Acts chapter 4, and as we look at how the early church operated, how should we respond in this moment that we're in? Do you think very often about the fact that God in his sovereign wisdom and desire chose you to live right here, right now? That you are here on purpose. And so I want us to look at Peter's response and the early church's response to see how we ourselves need to posture, how to be postured in the moment that we're in. Are you with me? I want to dive in. I'm just praying the Spirit just begins to open and awaken our hearts and our minds fresh today for this moment. So let's look at the text and see what clues we can bring and how to posture ourselves right now when we are on the spot as the people of God. Verse 7, so they come before, Peter's brought before them, and they begin to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. I love the NLT translation says it like this. Let me say it clearly. Make no bones about it. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, shots fired, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. If this is anything, and it's a lot of things, and I'm gonna look at a few things we we need to kind of talk about, but first and foremost, what I wanna point out to you is that Peter is crystal clear, isn't he? Like, he he left no room for speculation or misinterpretation. When he was asked, 
What's the deal? He didn't say, well, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. He didn't get into that. He didn't get into to Greco-Roman pantheon. He went straight down the middle and said, let me tell you about Jesus. He was crystal clear about who it is he's talking about and what it is that Jesus has done. He did not promote Caesar. He did not talk about the Sanhedrin. He did not talk about Zeus. He didn't let people believe in hope for America or for Canada or Trump or Biden or Bezos or Musk. No other name. He just said, there's one name I need to tell you about and his name is Jesus. He was singularly focused on Jesus, and he was crystal clear with what he said as it pertains to Jesus. I believe, and this is speaking to us right now, and I think this is something the Lord is calling the church to in this time that we are in. We have got to get our gospel straight. We are in a moment where we can't afford to have a wishy-washy understanding or explanation of Jesus. In a time where people just call truth everything and things get absorbed into the the kind of ecosystem of half-truths, we have got to be crystal clear on the full scope of the truth of the gospel. We cannot allow our explanation of the gospel to be muddy or muddled. We have got to be crystal clear. This moment that we are in requires the people of God to be crystal clear. We are in a time that is relativistic, it's pagan, it's pantheistic, it's pluralistic, and truth has been relegated into something that serves your feelings, your moods, and your perspective. And the church must not allow itself Due to niceness or lethargy or passivity or cowardice, we cannot allow ourselves to let the gospel of truth get absorbed as just one other option in the grand scheme of options to better your life. It's not what it is. We are saying Jesus is everything, and we have got to recover the centrality of the gospel in our world as believers. Can I get an amen? Look, we are in a time right now where the devil himself is working overtime to destroy the world by corrupting the gospel the church believes. Listen to what I just said there. If the enemy can pervert our gospel, then we have been hamstrung on the very hope that God has for the whole world. This is why you see these wars raging inside the church where you are seeing people give up sound doctrine and to step back away from the centrality of Orthodox Christianity. And this is, I believe, the number one way the enemy is attacking the people of God and subsequently the world. It's through blocking and distorting the knowledge of God. The devil's scheme is to get your vision of God and your version of the gospel wrong so that you are giving a false account. This is the the problem that we saw all through the New Testament. If you read all of the letters of Paul, do you know what he's doing? In virtually every single one of them, he's correcting theological drift. Do you know we aren't the only Christians in this time to be feeling the pressures of ideas that, that kind of push up against the truth of the gospel or maybe even try to diminish or degrade it? Like you read Colossians, read Corinthians, read Romans, read Ephesians. Pastor John last week showed us this this scripture to Timothy. Look, Look at the instruction from Paul to Timothy. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with what? Good teaching. How many of you know like good doctrine and good teaching matters? 
It matters desperately. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. And there are teachers in the church of Jesus Christ that are just catering to itching ears. And we cannot, in this moment we are in, back away from the full counsel of God. Like, we believe this whole book. And we believe that Jesus put everything in here he wanted to put in here. And there's things maybe we don't understand, we don't know why, but we submit to the authority of the word. Paul says they will reject the truth and chase after myths, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. We have got to get our gospel straight right now. You have got to know the gospel. We, the people of God, have to get it straight. You have got to get it clear, and you've got to know it. Let me ask you the question, like, can you articulate the hope that you have? Do you know it? Let me ask you a further question. Can you smell and spot the counterfeit? Because, man, they're subtle. We are living in a time right now where people will attach things to Jesus that almost sound Jesus-y, don't they? Well, love is love. That sounds right, but it's not. Jesus said, this is love. He defined it. There are all kinds of false gospels being perpetrated and perpetuated inside the church. And we right now, as the believers, have got to know the truth from the lies. And we've got to be able to spot the counterfeit from the real thing. You need to know and get it straight. And my fear as a pastor, because I've seen it, I've seen it a lot. I've seen how easily we can be influenced and how quickly we can fall into some traps. There's, there's two main traps when it comes to false gospels. Believing something less than the gospel, like it's like the, it's the Thomas Jefferson version of Christianity. You know, you know Thomas Jefferson, the, the founding father of America, he famously had a Bible that he cut the parts out that he didn't like. Literally, it's called the Jefferson Bible. You can see it. It's like in the Library of Congress. And he just cut the stuff out he didn't like. Y'all, we are living in the Jefferson Bible moment in the church where people are tempted to cut the stuff out we don't like. And I believe that God is calling the church back to say, look, I don't have to like it. It's true. Anything less than the gospel, Jesus minus some things. Or this is a problem in the church too. Anything more than the gospel of Jesus, Jesus plus some other stuff. Jesus plus you got to be a really good person or you're going to go to hell. That's not the gospel. Y'all, I have, I have confronted that so many times in the church where, where it's like people who have sat under good teaching and you still have heard some version of the gospel that says, well, when you stand before God someday, hopefully he will have mercy on your soul and you've been a good enough person to be led into heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you're all bad. So am I. But Jesus was so good on our behalf that he made a way where there was no way. That's the gospel. Are you articulate? Can you articulate the gospel? Like, can you see the world through the gospel? Are you fluent? It's a language, y'all. Are you gospel fluent? This is the hope of these next few weeks is that we learn how to understand the world through the lens of the gospel and that God would refresh us and resurrect a new conviction. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But we have got to get our gospel straight. Can I get an amen? Are you up for it over the next few weeks? I'm just going to kind of hit the main building blocks of what it is we believe and why. But this is the, this is the reason, though. We are in a moment where we can't afford to be loose on the truth. We can't afford to be loose on the truth. 
Let's keep going. Number two, we are in a moment, if we're talking about posture, it's not just about clarity. Second word, and it starts with C. All four of my points start with C. Courage. I want to talk about courage. I want to give this to you just as straight as can be. I know as a, as a pastor, I'm prone to the same temptation that I have as a parent. Sometimes I want to shelter my kids from the harshness of reality. Any parents know what I'm talking about? I think that's good parenting at some point. But if you do that too much or in the wrong way, you're actually going to hurt your kid, not help them. And I want to give something to you very straight today, and that is this, that we are living in a time that it takes increasing courage to follow Jesus. Like, you cannot follow Jesus and lack courage. We are in a moment where following him, being a disciple, takes courage because there is increasing risk of mistreatment, and we are not far from the risk of even persecution here in the West. And y'all, you need to know something about persecution as Christians. You are brothers and sisters with uh, a couple billion people around the world. 200 million of your brothers and sisters today live in an environment in a country where it is completely not safe to their actual physical life to follow Jesus, and yet they continue to. Every couple hours on planet Earth, somebody that's one of your brothers and sisters goes to be with Jesus because they refuse to recount their faith in Jesus and they were murdered because of Jesus. That's happening today. It is not safe to be a Christian on planet Earth and it is increasingly not safe even here in the West. And we are in a moment right now that requires courage. Do you sense that? The cost of following Jesus here in the West is becoming more and more of of a reality. And and I, I encourage you in this because this is actually the posture that the Christian church needs. Look at the response. Verse 13, so Peter gives it to them and just says, here's what you're asking for. I'm telling you about Jesus. He lays it down. And then look what it says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Yet they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That the courage and anointing and power of their lives spoke to the reality of God. It's an incredible thing. But since they could see see the man who had been healed standing right there with them, there was nothing they could say. I love that. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign, and we can't deny that. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, just just to shake off anything that that might be untrue and how you're, you're envisioning this, remember that just weeks before this, Peter and John watched this very same group of religious leaders bring Jesus before them and try him and uh, put him toward execution on a cross. Like, this is a very serious group of people saying, do not say that name again or else. Their or else is significant. And yet Peter stood there in the face of them and John and the early church increasingly so and said, we will not be silent. We are not stepping down or stepping back. And this is, I think, a really important thing for us to understand in the moment that we're in, that God chose you and I to be his people right here, right now. 
He chose Peter and John to be there before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem that day. But you and I are, are chosen to be here in New Brunswick and in Nova Scotia and in PEI, like right now. And we will stand before God someday and we will have to give an account for how we did in our moments. Will we have shrunk back or will we have had courage? That's the question. Now, you might be asking the question, well, how do you muster up courage? I think, I think gospel courage comes from two places. One, it comes ultimately from the fear of the Lord. When you and I fail to step out courageously, and like, even if it means like telling somebody about Jesus, that takes courage. Or doing the right thing in a company that's asking you to do the wrong thing, that takes courage. Like following Jesus takes courage. But we find our courage first and foremost from fearing God more than we fear the consequences of men. Can I get an amen from somebody who's paying attention in church? It's the, the fear of the Lord actually gives us courage. See, I think Peter and John, first and foremost, were more afraid of, of the Lord himself than they were of what the Sanhedrin could do to them. Jesus himself one time said, look, don't, don't fear those who can kill and destroy the body. Fear the Lord who can destroy your soul. Fear the Lord. So the fear of the Lord, first and foremost, but also, like Jesus himself, he, he said, like, you, you will either serve me or serve something else. You can't have two masters. And he says, if you, if you are ashamed of me before people, I will be ashamed of you before my Father. That's a tough one of Jesus, isn't it? He said some hard things. But this is a reality. So the fear of the Lord actually gives us courage. But also along with the fear is the faithfulness and goodness of God gives us courage as well. It's not only that God is real, but God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be? Oh, if God is for me, who can be? Yeah, who can be against me? We have to have courage in this moment. I, I've been convicted of my level of courage a lot recently, particularly as I watch things happen globally and I'm more and more aware of what other Christians are going through. And I saw, I had a moment when I was in Israel uh, back in March. I, I had an encounter with a gentleman who like had incredible courage and it just checked me to my core. I, I, I was out for a walk. We had an afternoon free and I was walking through Jerusalem just exploring the city by myself. And I was coming down a hill. It's a really like, like built up area. There's big, big buildings. And I was coming down a hill and I could hear someone yelling the gospel. Like, Jesus is Lord. Repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. Salvation is here today. Like just a good old-fashioned street preacher. And I come around the corner and I see this young guy right here. You can see in the middle of this with his Bible, and it was him who was preaching. And just as I saw him, I saw this group of young Jewish men come around him like incredibly hostile. I actually have it on video. I don't have time to show it all today. But they come around him, and they start pointing their finger in his face and say, take that name and take that Bible out of here. Uh, this, uh, there was a guy over here that actually spit on him, and I saw it happen. These guys were right up in his face, like threatening him, and, and Buddy would not back down. And I went over and I just stood with my brother who I'd never met before and we ended up sitting and just hanging out there until the whole thing sort of got diffused. But he told me, I, I, I found Jesus last year, or he found me from Amsterdam and I had a dream and he told me to go to Jerusalem and preach the gospel and so I did and here I am. I don't know anybody, I'm just finding my way. And I was just like, wow, God help my courage. 
so attached to comfort that sometimes I'm just incapable of taking that extra step out there. And we have millions of brothers and sisters all around the world that are like actually putting their lives at risk to go on record for Jesus. We have got to risk being unpopular. Amen? Okay, you might be unpopular. We might even come into a day where we have to risk physical harm. But that is our inheritance. We come from a family of blessed, blood-bought people who are unafraid of what, pe- what man can do to them. Deep courage. Number three. So we need clarity. What else do we need? Courage. Uh, all of our other campuses, I'm finding the valley a little sleepy today. I'm going to trust it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit like a blanket upon us. <laughs> Number three. So they threaten Peter. They're like, you shut up and don't say that name again or you know what will happen. Look what Peter says. Peter's just got some swag all of a sudden. Like this guy, he's just had a massive life change, like massive life change, and you can see it. So then they called him in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. So again, the fear of the Lord, right? He's like, I'm more afraid of what God's got to say about me than you. So I'm going to keep saying it. Look what he says. As for us, say it with me, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. It's not that we... We, like, can't, we, we just can't stop. It's involuntary at this point. I can't not talk about Jesus. It's, it's just going to happen. It's like Peter's just saying, look, this is just going to keep happening, so you might as well get used to it. It's like I can't stop talking about Jesus. How many of you know that when you're really excited about something, it just comes out? Doesn't it? Like, you, you, you will talk about what you're passionate about. It just comes out in conversation. I visited West Campus last weekend, and after everybody left, we had an incredible time. There's me and Garth at the back with our phones, swiping through pictures of deer. <laughs> right? Look at that one. <laughs> it's so cool. Right? Just excited about deer. Right? You, you talk about what you're excited about. It's natural. It's involuntary. If you hang around someone long enough, you're going to hear what's important to them. You're just going to hear. And so I believe right now, and this is one of the main things I think God wants to accomplish in our church over the next handful of weeks, is that we need to stir up some fresh conviction. What's conviction? It's a firmly held belief. Like, I think God right now in this season is like stirring up deeper conviction in us that I have to talk about this. This It's the most incredible thing in the world. How can I shut up about this? He's got to stir up some new conviction in us. And here's the hard truth. A failure to actually tell other people about Jesus indicates a lack of conviction. It just shows that you don't believe it that much. That's the hard truth. We've got to speak up. And I'm praying over these next few weeks that God refreshes our vision and expands our vision about the goodness and greatness of God in Christ Jesus, that the good and good news gets even gooder, and that we find ourselves just involuntarily talking about Jesus. See, I think the world would expect us to talk about Jesus, wouldn't they? 
I, I saw a video not long ago. You, should, you can go on YouTube and find it. Uh, there's this guy, Penn Gillette. You know Penn, Penn and Teller? Anybody know Penn and Teller, like illusionists? In, um, sorry about my screenshot, Penn. That's the best I could do. Um, they're illusionists in Las Vegas. And this, uh, this, I saw this clip of Penn going on, and he's, he videoed, he did a vlog talking about how this guy, after one of his shows, they, he waited through the whole autograph session and waited till everyone left, and Penn said, I saw him over in the corner waiting for me, and then he comes over, and he just said, and he handed me a Bible. And Penn's like, now some of you, you know that I'm an atheist, and you know I don't believe this stuff at all, and you might think I was annoyed by it, but you know, Penn goes, you know what annoys me? It's not the Christians that proselytize. It's the ones that don't. He said, if you believe the stuff that's in that book about God and eternal life and the forgiveness of sins and heaven and hell, and you actually believe that and fail to proselytize, that doesn't add up. So he said, I was so moved by a guy who really believes what he believes, says he believes. Like, let me ask you the question, like, do you actually live a life that's congruent with what you say you believe? Like, how can we say it's good news, but we won't tell our face or tell someone else? It's, it's about conviction. Jesus said it absolutely best. He said, you're going to talk about what your heart is full of. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I've found, and maybe you've found this, the times where I'm walking closest with Jesus and the times that I'm like the most on fire for him are the easiest times to talk about him with others. Just without fail. I remember one time I was having lunch with my cousin who always like, he's got questions about the Jesus thing and, and we talk about that. But this time we weren't talking about it at all, but I kept bringing it back to Jesus like over and over to the point by the end of our dinner, I was like, hey man, sorry, I kind of like, just like Jesus juked you the whole, the whole lunch. And he's like, I, I can't help it. I'm sorry. Like I was, it was just one of those moments. And, and I ask you the question, like when was the last time that you were so convinced and convicted by the truth of the gospel that you just involuntarily just like, yeah, let me tell you about Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus, this is, this is what I think God wants to do in us in this moment. And, and I'm, I think one of the things over the last few years, and you, you like, test this, but I have a theory that God is consolidating and clarifying his church, that he's pruning like bad growth, and one of the things that he's doing in the, in the church of Jesus Christ right now is bringing us to a place where the darkness in the world is getting so dark that we are getting more and more convinced that Jesus is the only hope you had that thought lately? Like you watching what's happening in Israel and Palestine? I've been there. I'll tell you something. The only thing that's going to untangle that is the Prince of Peace. Period. There is no earthly solution for that. Like I am more convinced than ever that what we need in this world is for Jesus' kingdom to come in fullness. Like how is your conviction? I suspect it's been rising. Like, if you're still here after these last three years and you're still wanting to stand up and be counted as a follower of Jesus, it's probably because you have a growing conviction that Jesus is our only hope. He truly is. Let's wrap it up. So we're talking about we need...
clarity, we need courage, and we need what? Conviction. Last C word. Here we go. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Now, I think this is important that this is in here because there is so much favor on Peter and John and the early church and what was happening because of the kingdom coming. Like there was so much notoriety growing in the city of Jerusalem and so many people saying, well, that's awesome that the powers that be couldn't even do anything about it. Like they were, they were getting into this societal tipping point where so many people were coming to the conclusion that we want more of this. I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. I don't know about all that you say you believe. I want to hear about it. But what I do know is whatever you're doing in Jesus' name seems to reap good results. More of that, please. You know, it's not simply that being a Christian takes courage. Yes, there will be, Jesus said, like, if the world hates you, it hated me first. But, but we are also the people that need to be the first to believe. Yeah, there will be people in the world that reject us, but there is a multitude of people that are desperate for what we have. Oh, hear me on that. Like, the lie of the enemy to convince you, oh, they don't want that. Oh, they don't need that. What you saw early on in the early church was this, like, societal tipping point that was happening. It was like... Like, the kingdom of God was just moving in such a way that multitudes were saying, oh, I want that. Me too. I want that. It was like, it's like you know, in a few weeks, there's going to be some crazy, stupid, cheap toy that some kid's going to say, I want that for Christmas. And then his friend's going to say, I want that for Christmas. And then his friend's going to say, I want that for Christmas. And then all of a sudden, every kid wants that for Christmas. It's going to happen, right? I could go through a whole line. Furbies and anyway, we're not going to do that. Taylor Swift tickets, like everybody says they want that, right? There's this thing that happens in society where there's this like compound effect of good things. And I think we as the church of Jesus Christ in this moment have got to stir up some new confidence that the good news is really good news and people are actually desperate to hear it. Come on, somebody. Like, I think God is stirring up confidence, and we need it in this time. Like, there is nothing, hear me, like, hear in your spirit, hear the Holy Spirit say this. There is nothing more desirable and better, there is no greater thing for this world than the kingdom of heaven breaking in all over the earth. Like, that is what the people in Halifax need, and that is what multitudes in the people of, of the people of Halifax want. Some of them just don't know that it's Jesus you've been looking for. This is what the world needs. They want the kingdom of God, and we need to be the first to say, I know where you can find the peace that you're looking for. And I know where you can find a new start. And I know where you can find power and meaning in your life. And I know where you can find hope even in these dark times. Like we have got to be people, ambassadors, heralds of a better story. Like we know, like you, 
Hey, are you discouraged watching the, the election happen or begin in the United States? Me too. Let me tell you about a better president. His name is Jesus. Are you discouraged about it in Canada? Let me tell you about a better government. It's the government of King Jesus. Are you discouraged about the war that's going on in Ukraine or in Israel? Let me tell you about the Prince of Peace who is going to establish his government without end. It's increased without end. Let me tell you about him. Like we have got to stir up some conviction. No one has a hard time being the bearer of good news. Do they? Have you ever had a, like, have you ever been the first to be told some amazing, like, how many of you have said, don't tell anybody, but we're pregnant? And then you went and said, don't tell anybody, no one's supposed to know, but she's pregnant. And then at the gender reveal party, everyone's like, yeah, we already know, it's a girl. Now, like, the whole thing, like, people can't shut up about good news. And that's what I think we need to recover right now in this moment that we're in as the church of Jesus Christ. Like the gospel of Jesus, it, gospel means what? Good news. Like how can we stop saying Jesus is good news for all people? Like the announcement, we're going to celebrate at Christmas. I bring you good tidings of great joy, good news for all people. This is what we are talking about. And my prayer for us in the next few weeks is that God just like, dusts off the malaise of familiarity. You hear me? The Bible says familiarity breeds contempt. And I will be the first to testify it is possible to be around church and read the scriptures, sing the songs, hear the sermons, gather together, and it's great. And yet you begin to lose the wonder of the gospel of Jesus. And what we need right now is God to help us recover an increased wonder in the gospel of Jesus. I, I had a moment, I was just kind of floored this past week. I, my youngest son, he's eight, we, we still read with him at night. And uh, right now he's in French immersion, so he's reading these French books, which I don't really pay attention to. Um, I'm like, okay, read your French. But then he read his French books and... Uh, and then I was like, let's read a Bible story. And so I loaded up the, the YouVersion Bible app for kids. Anybody have used that with your kids? It's fantastic. It's like illustrated and it's animated. And so we're like, we're picking, it has little icons and we picked a story. He's like, oh, what's that one? He's pointing to the very last story. It was, and it's uh, the, the story of Revelation 21 and 22 of how the whole, the whole grand story that we believe ends. And we, we started looking at it and swiping through the story and we got to this part where, where it says, talking about the, the new heavens and the new earth and what we believe Jesus is ultimately going to do. Like he's going to, he's going to restore everything. And uh, I read this part, like this is the new heaven. There won't be any tears because no one will be in pain. No one will die. And those things will be gone forever. My son, he goes, he goes so like nobody dies? Yeah, like, like death will be done away with. And he goes, and no one cries? Only tears of joy if there's tears. And he goes, how long will that last? <laughs> I said, forever. He's like, forever, ever? 
And I said, forever, ever, ever. And he goes, well, that's awesome. <laughs> I said, yeah, it really is. It really is. Awesome. That the creator of the universe would purpose all of this and all of us for his glory and goodness, and yet every one of us have fallen short of that purpose and denied him. And yet in his unimaginable love, he comes into the problems that you and I have created and every, every human being and he takes that problem onto himself and offers us a way back to him and a way to eternal life. And he forgives us of our sins through his own blood. He dies our death. And he rises in victory. And he offers us not just forgiveness, but new life. Life that even begins now in our spirit and in our mind. And life that one day will come into fullness forever when there will be a new heaven and a new earth and new bodies. And there will no more be pain or sorrow or crying or death. And he will reign forever and ever and ever. Like, it's awesome. I wish I could say that without my voice cracking, but I can't. It is awesome. My prayer for us in this season is that God is going to stir up newfound conviction and vision and confidence in his people. That he would renew the wonder of the gospel for you. That you'd be taken back to that moment when you first encountered his grace and be reminded all over again how greatly you've been saved and how deeply you've been loved and how great is the hope that you've been given that no season of your life can ever touch. My hope is that God will give us a greater revelation of Jesus. Let me ask you a question in closing. How is your picture of Jesus. Are you clear? We're going to ask him to bring clarity in these weeks. How's your courage? How's your conviction? How's your confidence? This is what I'm hoping God does in us over these next few weeks. He brings clarity. He brings conviction. He brings confidence and courage so that we in this moment that we're in can have boldness. I want to pray a prayer over us. The story in Acts 4 ends this way. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, every, all of our locations, and I want us to just... I want us to pray this prayer of the early church. So Acts 4 tells us that Peter and John, they're released, they're threatened and released. And they go back and they gather with the believers and they begin to pray. And this was their prayer. And I want us to pray this. And now, O oh Lord... Hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word 
Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. After this, it says they, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and then they preached the word of God with boldness. Father, I ask today, would you fill us fresh with your spirit? Holy Spirit, would you show us a greater vision of Jesus? Would you bring clarity to the gospel of truth for us? Would you enable us and empower us to speak with boldness? And Lord, would you convince our hearts and our imagination that the best news for this world is King Jesus? We pray that you would do this in us over this season. Father, I pray for doors to be open uh, of conversation. And God, I ask right now, in, for those of us who have been following you for a long time, would you, Holy Spirit, just blow the dust off of us and blow the, the familiarity and lethargy that can happen away. Would you allow us to just fall in love with you all over again? We pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen.